We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Fielding the 68, our in-house bracketology show. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm breaking news. It's almost bracket time. We are less than a week away from Selection Sunday. I can't wait. It's the most special time of the year, and we got two very special bracketologists that are here today. We've got Andy Bottoms. We've got Rocco Miller. My name is Greg Waddell. Uh, If you're watching us on the Field of 68 YouTube channel, Please jump in the chat, throw some questions at us. We will answer them at the end of the show. Throw us a like, click subscribe so that you don't miss any of this content whatsoever. We've done this show all season on Mondays and Fridays. We are upping the ante for the biggest week of the season. We're going to do it three times this week. You're going to get a bracket from our consensus experts pools together. We add it up. We do the numbers and we give you a bracket every single day this week. We're going to keep you up to date on everything you need to know about who will be in and who will be out of the NCAA tournament. Gentlemen, it's great to see your faces. I would throw it to you and ask you how you're doing, but I'm just going to be honest. There's too much to get to today. So we're going to dive right in right now. It's conference tournament week and there's always been a lot of debate. How much does performance in the conference tournament really matter for teams that are just hanging for their life on the bubble, last four in, first four out? Can a team really just totally drastically change their tournament outcome based on their performance this week? Let's go to you first, Andy. I don't know that I'd say they can drastically change it, but it is important for those teams. I mean, uh, the team that I I follow and and cover, IU, would not have been in had they not had the run of the Big Ten tournament that they did last year. Uh, so I think it's important for those teams right around the cut line. There's a couple conferences that have pretty heavy representation in those last handful of teams. The Big Ten, again, being one of them, probably the, the one that has the most uh, in that range. You've got the Mountain West has some teams in there uh, as well. And, um, you know, some of the other uh, some of the other conferences have have, you know, one team maybe where something mean where where it means something. It, you know, in general, it doesn't feel like you can move a whole bunch of seed lines in this. We've talked about that in the past. It, it doesn't feel like once you get to Friday, a whole lot matters, um, or once you get past Friday in particular. And so I don't think a team can dramatically change it, but for those teams, it is a last gasp effort. And I do think we've seen teams over the course of time, I feel like about a team a year 
has been rewarded for having a good run in the NCAA tournament. Maybe that's just uh, the committee watching him and saying, hey, I, that you can see the desperation. These games meant something, a lot of pressure, and this team came through, and that matters. But uh, in terms of dramatically doing something, I, I would I would say no to that part. Rocco, what about the top of the list here? Like, it, we've got a little bit of a fight going on for a final one seed, you could say, right? We got uh, Purdue, we got UCLA in there. UCLA has been super hot lately. Purdue uh, kind of up and down, down the stretch. It, does it matter who wins? longer this week between those two teams like is this a situation where if Purdue loses before UCLA loses that one seed is going to go to the Bruins and not the Boilermakers it could it, it certainly could it really depends on where the committee feels both teams are and how close they are uh, I personally feel like they're they're fairly close you know UCLA if you look at them in a vacuum you know they're a program that uh, has had a really successful year um, you know, historically, you would just look at the resume and it would be a nice buttoned up one seed uh, from in the West, you know, traditionally speaking. Uh, but we all know UCLA didn't get the opportunities uh, that teams like Purdue, Kansas, Alabama had. So uh, from from the Bruins standpoint, um, all they can do is keep taking care of their business uh, and and hope that Purdue falls at some point. Now, they did maybe even gain more ground over the weekend. They beat a, a really top notch Arizona team at home. Purdue also won a home game against Illinois. Um, UCLA's win just a tad stronger, but uh, not enough to, to make the switch today. And I think, you know, it's important for the audience to understand what actually goes on um, throughout this week. So I'll just re reset that. Uh, the committee will uh, fly in, I think, sometime Tuesday. First meeting will be Wednesday morning. And uh, from there, they start their process. And they get a lot of that process done throughout Wednesday and into Thursday. Uh, once you hit Friday, you're into your third day of the process. You know, some of the initial seeding is done. Some of the initial, uh, you know, teams, at least your top 36 will probably be done, maybe top 32 at the at the least. And so there's going to need to be a drastic event after Thursday in order to make a change, um, whether that's news, whether it's a really bad loss. Um, that's up to your interpretation or me or Andy's interpretation. But I think that's the key for all of these decisions. So what's on the line this week are basically, you know, three different sections of the bracket. One, you've got the top line, as you mentioned, the one seeds. Two, you have the overall protected seeds, which are the top 16, uh, four lines, one, two, three, and four. And then you've got the bubble. You got to get that right. Um, and of course, that's, a, that's where they're going to want to put most of their time in Friday and Saturday. So um, just to make that very, very clear. So I think with this situation, if nothing crazy happens, Wednesday or Thursday, I don't think they even play till Thursday. Um, it's probably not going to shift much. So later in the show, we're going to give you guys some games to watch this week that we are extremely uh, excited about, whether they move the needle, whether it's just a game a team desperately needs. Uh, but for now, I want to know a team from each of you that you have your eye on that could really help themselves during conference tournament week. Let's go to Andy first, then we'll come back to you for the same question, Rocco. I think for me, it's, uh, I, I guess I'll stay in the Big Ten. I got to stay stay on brand for myself, I suppose. I think it's whoever wins that Michigan-Rutgers game uh, because they get a shot at Purdue. And at, at that point, a win there becomes absolutely huge. That might be, you know, Purdue getting knocked out would be, you know, to tie it back to the prior question, maybe where UCLA is able to sneak past them. Because uh, UCLA's draw due to the overall quality of the Pac-12 is a little bit easier so I think that's a team. You know, Rutgers is is teetering right now on the uh, one of the last spots. Michigan 
one of the first handful of teams out of it. And so for them, they've got to win at least a couple, it feels like. And so I think the winner of that game gets one of the best opportunities you can get early enough in the week for things to really matter. Uh, that, that matchup would be on on Friday when they would play Purdue. So I think it would happen early enough to really be able to make up some ground because uh, you really got to do your work early at that part. So I'll, I'll go with whoever wins that game. Also important to note, Andy, I will be in-house trying to drag my team, the Michigan Wolverines, through that Purdue game and into the NCAA tournament. Uh, who knows if that will actually help them or hurt them? We'll see. It didn't help last year. Rocco, let's throw it your way. Who's the team you've got your eye on that could help themselves this week? Uh, Greg, I've got like 11. Um, <laughs> Pick one. How the, how the heck am I supposed to choose? Um, yeah, I guess I guess I'll just go right with a team near the cut line. Um, I think it's Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, I, I my initial gut reaction when they got that win at Texas Tech over the weekend. Um, you know, they're still clean in terms of losses. Uh, when I mean by clean is no team above 15 losses has been selected in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so basically, if you lose 15 in the regular season, you have to assume you're going to lose a 16th in the conference tournament, then you're TKO'd. Uh, but that didn't happen to the Pokes yet. But you take a deeper look at their resume, there's still a little bit of empty calories after the road Iowa State win. Uh, I think there's still work to be done for the Pokes. And they open against a non-tournament team in their rivals, Oklahoma, which is kind of a deadly uh, situation where not much to gain, but they got to get the win. So um, not only is Oklahoma State going to have to win that, I think they might have to win another game after that. So, uh, and that, of course, will be against a top team in the Big 12. And uh, it, it, that's the team, I think, with um, that, that's going to make the decision extremely clear for the committee with their play this week. Yeah, they, they were yeah. the other one that I almost said. Uh, that'd be, even though Oklahoma's a non-tournament team, still a quad two opportunity for them. And then they get a crack at Texas if they win it. So uh, again, what you want in, in these cases is opportunities to play uh, the better teams, uh, ideally on Thursday or Friday, so that it can matter, and and all the ones we mentioned get that chance if they can win. A little bit of alignment here from Rocco and Andy early. That's a good thing on the final week <laughs> of the season, heading into Selection Sunday. Let's talk one seeds. Uh, we're going to show our consensus fielding the sixty-eight one seeds uh, right now. I don't think this should surprise anyone at this point. There's been some consistency here: Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and Purdue. Uh, I think the more interesting conversation here is probably the ordering of these one seeds. Should Alabama be the first overall seed in this tournament? Rocco, what do you think? Well, I think there's an argument to be made now for Houston. Uh, Alabama, of course, slipped up in the last game at te Texas A&M down the stretch. And, um, the you know, the reason for that is every piece of information that all of us have is based on a bracket preview show that happened on February 18th, I believe. And at that time, um, you know, Houston was put ahead, ahead of Kansas primarily because um, three major reasons. One, they're number one in all the per performance uh, metrics. Two, they're perfect away from Houston, uh, a perfect away and neutral record. I believe that's 13-0 after the win at Memphis. And number three is their road win at Virginia is, if you're looking at the board alone, the, the seat, overall seed list alone, is better than a win at TCU or a win at Kentucky, which is Kansas's strongest win. So now you move that needle up to Alabama. Alabama, of course, it was recognized by the chairman uh, that uh, they got the road win at, at Houston. Um, obviously, that's still a better road win than Houston themselves has. Uh, but now Alabama takes an extra loss, and it really just comes down to a balancing act. Do they, do they value uh, performance metrics and road record more than strongest road win? 
or a strongest road win plus four other road wins against the field, which is what Alabama has, um, more important than what Houston's done. And I think there's an argument there. Um, so I think those are the right two top two, just based on what we understand about this committee this year. Uh, but I, and I, and I don't know enough to make the change. So I am sticking with Alabama at the top, but I just want to throw it out there that depending on how the committee views this, um, you know, Houston theoretically could be number one. Okay. Andy, I want to ask you about the other side of this. We alluded to it earlier. This could be a race between Purdue and UCLA for the final number one seed. Is it those five teams? Is there anybody else you would lump in that you think is in play of getting up to the number one line, or is it just those five? I, I think it's just those five. I have Texas as the sixth, and then looking at them today, just hard-pressed to see a scenario. If, if we follow through what we just said about the conference tournaments and that winning the Big 12 – on on Saturday wouldn't make a huge difference. Uh, just feels like there's a bit too much ground to gain it, to to make up. Now maybe they could pass UCLA. I just don't know that they could get to Purdue uh, at that point. So I think it's really those five. And and as you look at Purdue and UCLA, certainly things to like about either one. UCLA's got the better quality metrics, but realistically they're four and four against the field. Now they've also swept Arizona State and swept Oregon. Those are two teams that are in the mix. For me, um, Arizona State was one of the first teams left out. So, you know, if you don't take, even if you take those wins into account, they get six. Uh, Purdue's got 11 wins against the field, uh, and that doesn't include beating, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin, who are on the, the wrong side of things for me. So, um, to me, Purdue's got more quad one wins, more high quad one wins, uh, a little bit better, or a little bit better non-conference strength schedule, definitely better Um overall strength of schedule, better road neutral record. Uh, it, it just, to me, as, as much as it feels like Purdue has trailed off a little bit and UCLA has done a ton of good things, they're one of only four teams in the top 16 from the committee's reveal that haven't lost since the reveal. Um, I, that matters. It just it is a little bit of an uphill battle. And, and another test of how much do some of the predictive metrics really matter and how can they overcome a lack of, uh, volume of quality wins uh, there. So for now, I still have Purdue there. I think they could get leapfrog potentially if they would lose that first Big Ten tournament game. But I think outside of that would feel like they're going to end up there. Okay, so if I'm hearing Andy correctly here, if Purdue wins that first game against the eight or nine seed, we, we think Purdue is going to hold on to the number one seed. Is that a fair summary? No matter what UCLA does, that's a win that game and they clinch the fourth one seed? It feels that way to me a bit, just based on what we said with the, uh, you know, with the the committee, because at that point they would probably play Michigan State or Iowa on Saturday in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, the Pac-12 will be wrapping up at that point. Uh, there, there's an argument to be made that UCLA winning both the regular season and the conference championship should should matter, um, and it's one of those where the the non-bracketology part of me and just the college basketball fan would say that absolutely should matter and you should consider all the games. Unfortunately, part of doing this is trying to look at the precedent of what the committee's done and history would tell us that those games don't mean as much as we think they do, no matter how much we enjoy the uh, the drama of watching them and talking about them and all those things. Rocco, would you agree if Purdue wins that game, they're locked in at, at the fourth one seed? Yeah, I mean, you can never say locked in because it all always depends on how the committee views it. Um, I agree with everything Andy said. Uh, I think in recent years and, and probably the last decade plus, uh, that's just been the way it's gone. You know, they get to that that stage. You know, I, did, I just served on a mock committee for four days over the weekend. And, you know, it, it really reminds you of what their process is like. 
they're pretty far beyond trying to shake that part of the bracket up unless it's something incredibly obvious um you know like a horror you know like a bad loss a loss to a team outside of the field things of that nature um and so chances are that's probably not going to happen so uh for all intents and purposes and the sake of this conversation that they're probably in really good shape but the caveat i have here is if the committee goes into this week thinking that the margin between purdue and ucla is a little bit more narrow than andy and i think it is that could be a whole different thing. Maybe they are going to wait a little bit longer to let one of those games play out through Friday. Um, and that's that's where I want to leave the window open a little bit because it's all about what's in their mind on how close they are. That makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, any Bruin fan listeners uh, will have to hope that either the Rutgers Scarlet Knights or the Michigan Wolverines could potentially <laughs> take down Purdue. We'll see if that happens. I'll certainly be rooting for it. Uh, and if, listen, if you're like me, and you want to dream a world into reality where Michigan gets hot, beats Purdue, and makes a run in the NCAA tournament? Well, you can believe that. You can back it up with Run Your Pool, who is hosting the official Field of 68 bracket contest this season. Our boss, Rob Doster, the lovely gentleman himself, has actually worked with Run Your Pool before, which is why he was so excited to land this sponsor. He's called me incessantly about it like 20 times in the last two weeks. They have more than 50 game types for every single sport you can think of. Traditional bracket pools, survivor games, head-to-head games, pickaxe games. My personal favorite is the squares. The scoring customizable. You can tailor your bracket rules to the pool. It's honestly pretty cool, but here's the best part. Run your pools, giving away free money, a lot of free money, $1,500 in cash prizes. Just sign up at the link in this description. It's play.runyourpool.com slash field six, eight. That's F I E L D six, eight. You can fill out your bracket and you're instantly eligible to win. Uh, we'll see you guys on March 12th. You all know what that date is. I alluded to it two weeks ago, and people were probably like, what's that date? Now we're seven days away. Everybody knows what I mean when I say that. All right, guys, let's do some bubble talk now. We're going to go to your last four in. We'll go one by one, have both of you guys reveal your current last four in, and then we'll bring the consensus of all of our experts up at the end. Andy, let's have you go first. Who are your last four in? All right. Well, for me, I've got Utah State there uh, in one of the spots. The the resume metrics are incredibly strong. They're ranked 21st in the net, picked up their only quad one win of the season uh, over the weekend by beating Boise State. And while there's a lot of holes you could poke in the resume, and that's true of any of these teams, uh, I, I said this about St. Mary's earlier in the year when we were trying to figure out where to seed them. Now things have changed a little bit uh, in that regard, but it seems unlikely to me, and maybe this is a stupid reason, that a team that ranks 21st in the net, which is the NCAA's not not ranking tool, but at least sorting tool, that you are kind of crapping all over it if you leave that team out of the field. Uh, maybe that's not the right way to think of it. And certainly if you wanted to find reasons to not put them in the field, I, I have no doubt that you could do that. But uh, I have them in there um, for, for them. If they beat the winner of New Mexico and Wyoming, then they would get Boise State again, maybe give themselves a little bit of breathing room there. Rutgers is the next one, uh, not playing well since the Mwat Mag injury. And, and that's one you can take the injury into account a little bit more because you know he's not coming back. You have not a huge sample size, but they have not been good uh, since he uh, hasn't been in there. Now have three quad three losses, non-conference strength of schedule that ranks outside of the top 300. Uh, but they do have seven wins against the field. And we, you know, certainly a lot of those came uh, while he was still healthy. And uh, so that game, as we talked about before, becomes huge for them against Michigan. 
Nevada, continuing the Mountain West flavor. Uh, this is an all Mountain West and, and Big Ten uh, group for me. You know, the resume metrics are pretty solid. Quality metrics, not so much. Uh, and, and so they've got a little bit of work to do uh, as they go through it, uh, have three wins against the field. Uh, as they go through there, play San, San Jose State in a game they really need to win, and then they get another crack at San Diego State, who they split with over the regular season. And then Penn State makes their way and had uh, just took two buzzer beaters to get them in the field at this point. Uh, resume metrics average out to 45, quality metrics about 50th. Uh, they're five and six in the top in, in quad one, uh, which helps them a bit. Six and eight road neutral, picking up that win at Northwestern last week was huge. They've also won at Illinois. So if we believe what we took away from the committee reveal earlier, uh, you feel good about having a couple really top end road wins there for them. And uh, they face the Illini again, and then they get a, another crack at Northwestern who they just played if they're able to win. So those are, those are the four for me. Andy, let me dig in a little further to Rutgers. We keep coming back to how pivotal the, the potential eight, nine spot is in the big 10 here uh, it, it, for Rutgers. Is it win one and in? Whereas Michigan needs to win that game and then beat Purdue. Does Rutgers feel good if they just beat Michigan and get to Purdue? I tend to think yes. Uh, although the challenge with being in this part of the bracket is uh, you're very dependent upon what others do around you and you're very dependent upon any potential bid thieves. So from CUSA is really the biggest one. Uh, you still be watching some other conferences to see what's there. So I tend to feel like they could exhale a little bit. Um, but I think Dayton could still be a, a very likely destination for them of you accomplish some things. You've got an injury. We're going to put you in, but you got to prove it and, and go to Dayton. Feels like a, a fairly likely scenario for them. Got it. All right, Rocco, we'll go to you next. Let's see your last four in who you got. <laughs> All right. Well, it's going to be impossible to explain this to you gentlemen without just giving you an overview real quick. So to the audience, um, you know, if you look at a field of 68, You've today, there's no bid steals yet, right? So you've got 22 automatic bids coming from teams that are outside of our projected cut line. All right. So that leaves um, a top 40 that I'm pretty sure about. All right. So you add the, the 22 plus the 40, we're at 62. Everybody with me? That, that leaves six open spots for me. Um, so you could call it last four in, whatever you want. But for me, I think all six of those spots are open. And I think there's up to 10 teams available for those six spots. Um, now, I'll just quickly say, above all of those, I went with Wisconsin and Nevada, just because in these situations, it always serves me best historically to just go back to what every committee member has ever said uh, consistently throughout the years, which is, who did you play? Where did you play them? How did you do? Um, and so the first, the first decision there, um, if you're going to put Wisconsin in the field, I think they've got to be above everybody else uh, just based on the fact that they've won at Marquette, they've won at Iowa, and now their Penn State road win and overall sweep of Penn State looks better and better than it ever did before. Um, so Wisconsin's that first choice for me. The second choice, I did end up going with Nevada just based on the fact that um, I think when you do a breakdown of them versus Utah State, there's a little bit more to like. Nevada's got the San Diego State home win that Utah State did not get. Both of those teams – you really want more on the road, uh, but Nevada did get a little bit more done, neutral games, et cetera, and a uh, better record in some of the breakdowns, and they don't have as ugly of losses, even though Nevada lost at home to UNLV on Saturday, which clearly makes them not safe. So any team I'm about to mention are not safe. Please make that clear. Um, 
next, uh, we get to our, our last four in. Um, we start with Penn State. Uh, Penn State's a team that made a move over the weekend, uh, a great win uh, at the end there, just nipped it out against Maryland, um, picked up a road win at Northwestern, dramatically improved their profile. Um, you know, when you look at Penn State across the board, uh, they've played 13 games against teams that will likely be in the tournament. They're six and seven. That's a lot better than what it was just a week ago when they were four and seven. You look at, you take away all their quad four games, and now they're 13 and 12. It's a little bit more digestible than being under 500. Um, and then they've got the road resume with the, the sweep of Illinois, the Northwestern win. Um, and even though Ohio State is completely falling apart, they got that road win a while back and it matters for whatever it's worth. Um, their other metrics are meeting up and they don't have a bad loss. So Penn State's there. The next two teams I'm going to mention are in very, very similar situations. In fact, so similar that it's impossible in a lot of ways to separate them. And that's the Providence Friars and the NC State Wolfpack. Um, there are reasons to put them in. If you just want to go off metrics and go off their great home wins, then sure, Providence and NC State will find a way in. Historically, uh, especially if you look at 2019's version of TCU, um, this is a team that the committee could easily look at and leave out of the field. And I'm talking about both the Friars and the Wolfpack. Um, and because the fact that Providence's trio of UConn, Marquette, Creighton, and their overall win percentage of 30%, uh, they went three and seven against 10 tournament teams to NC State's two and five, which is 28%. I barely have Providence above NC State, but there's a lot to pick at in both of these resumes because they did not get it done on the road. Both of them play in power conferences. Providence also has three road wins against Q2 that are non-tournament teams, Seton Hall, Villanova, Butler. NC State has two, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. They're both, you know, uh, NC State's a little bit better overall away neutral. Providence is six and eight. So again, like this is going to be hotly talked about throughout the week with the actual committee. Um, for now, we leave them both in. They're both going to Dayton. The fourth team, Arizona State hangs on because of that primary question I said at the very beginning of all this. Who did you play? Where did you play? How'd you do? They've got the road win at Arizona, which is a much more expensive piece of gold than any of these teams have. And the neutral Creighton win, even though no Kalkbrenner, still matters a little bit. And overall, they're 14 and 10 when you remove quad four, even though they have a quad four loss, which complicates things. Uh, but I think the, the true uh, reason for Arizona State is uh, four road wins against the top two quads at tough places to win. Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, and Stanford. It's uh, one more than Providence. It's two more than NC State. It's more than some of the teams I left out. Arizona State hangs on by a thread. Which one of those NC State and Providence in the middle, you lump them together. Which yeah. one of them do you think has the greater opportunity to swing where they're at this week in the conference tournament? Obviously, they both have an Clearly. opportunity, but is Clearly. there one that's more yes. obvious? Yes. Clearly, Providence. Clearly, Providence. They're playing UConn first game, so it's like you win that, you alleviate a lot of those concerns. I think in general, like I said, Providence is in a better position. They've got one additional win against the field. All three of their home wins are awesome. Um, they, they also have weaker metrics and weaker road win, but I think some of that stuff's more important. Uh, and the fact that they have Seton Hall, Nova Butler versus NC State's VTech Wake is one extra road win as well. I think NC State's in a really tough spot. Okay, interesting. All right, let's see our consensus. Last four in now. Again, uh, Andy and Rocco do great work. We've also got Brad Wachtel, Lucas Harkins that contribute here every single day. We are updating the bracket, and our consensus last four in is Nevada, Penn State, 
Rutgers, and Utah State. Let's move to first four out. Teams that are clinging to hope and right now find themselves on the wrong side of the cut line. Rocco, we'll have you go first here. Who are your first four out? Yeah, we'll start with Oklahoma State. I mentioned them earlier. Um, you know, in, in my initial uh, post-Saturday feelings and going through committee meetings and stuff like that, I thought uh, they were going to get in. Um, I thought they had done enough, but you do another breakdown. When you take away quad four, they're just 12 and 14. And it's just, you know, Wisconsin's an inch closer than that. They're one under, they're 12 and 13. Um, but you look at the wins and Oklahoma State's don't match up to Wisconsin's. They've got the really nice sweep of Iowa State, which Iowa State's performance this weekend, that that helped them. Um, but just home wins against TCU and West Virginia, an overall four and 11 record in 15 games against teams that are going to the tournament. That's a pretty tough win percentage for the Cowboys. Um, and their draw this week is Oklahoma and Texas. They, they almost kind of need both really, uh, especially if they if, if the committee agrees with my assessment. Um, and so, so then next I have Utah state, everything Andy said, I a hundred percent agree with, which is so crazy to say because he has a in and I don't, but that's just how narrow these margins are, um, at this moment. And I agree. It is the NCAA's tool. Um, I, th- I think, you know, just a couple weeks ago, we had reasons to leave West Virginia out around the same ranking. Uh, they were, I think, 24th, and I had them out at that time. I think at some point, if it doesn't happen this year, it'll happen one year where the net gets gamed a little too much and somebody in the 20s gets left out. Um, I just think that whole old question of who'd you play, where'd you play, how'd you do, they're not checking those boxes. Their best road win is at number 89, UNLV. Uh, their next best road win is at 100-something Colorado State. Um, if you want to throw San Francisco in there because they played them at the Chase Center, that's still a team that's in the hundreds, even after their great win over Santa Clara. So I don't have enough reasons, and the bad losses are, are you know, home to Weber State, neutral to SMU. Um, I don't have enough reason to put them in still. It's just I'm having a struggle with them big time. Um, the next team is Rutgers, which might stun a lot of people. It's not here for shock value. Um, I went I went with what a committee actually cares about, the team you're bringing to the dance. Since Maywat Meg's injury, they're two and six. Um, they did not. They have not looked themselves in almost all of those eight games, even the ones they've won. And uh, the, you know the resume itself, much like Oklahoma State, um, you remove quad four. They played seven quad four games, Greg. Mm-hmm. All you got left, eleven and thirteen record. Um, so I don't care about the Meg injury as much as that. And you look at the non-conference straight the schedule, if you think Providence is extreme at 292, or if you think NC State's extreme at 245, why don't you try Rutgers at 309 for size? That, that's tough. And they're 4-8 away neutral. And their strength of resume is not, uh, 62. The committee has all the reasons in the world, besides the great win at Purdue, uh, to leave them out. And I just that's just where I landed. And the last one, I'll, uh, I won't waste any more time, is still Charleston. They're still hanging around for all the same reasons. Not much has changed for them, but they have a huge semifinal game tonight. I love the passion, Rocco. I got to be honest. Again, I'm a Big Ten guy. I think anybody watching this probably knows this at this point. But uh, I've been watching Rutgers all season long. Obviously, they've played some great games. The Purdue game single-handedly saving their season right now. Uh, but this team, yeah. for for a while now, uh, obviously, you lose Mag. It's a totally different team, but they have just not been a good basketball team. So I like the passion. I like hearing what is the committee looking at with this group, Rocco? Sometimes I question it myself. I want to ask you quickly about Charleston, then we'll go to Andy. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, last four out for them right now. 
Yeah. They've got to win their conference tournament. You would expect that hopefully they will. I think on paper they should. But is it just a no way, not happening, they're out if they don't? Not at all, no. I, I, the reason I'm leaving them in the last four out is because there's a chance they get in without winning it. Um, if they were going to win it, then it would be a waste of time. Uh, I, I think you know, Hofstra's the number one seed. Hofstra's humming right now. I, I think that game's a toss-up if it happens. Um, so if they lose a close one to Hofstra, you really got to go deep with Charleston. At that point, they'd have 29 D1 wins. Uh, be unprecedented, I think, to leave them out at that many wins. Same goes for Oral Roberts if they get to their championship. But I think all of us have them penciled as the champion right now. Um, so we might have to talk about them later in the week. But, um, yeah, I think you really got to dig deep on Charleston if they lose to Hofstra in the final. Even if they lose to um, UNC Wilmington in the championship or Towson tonight, um, they're still probably going to get discussed. So, uh, you know, their the, the resume metric is 45. There's not a lot of common denominators between them and big schools at all. And then it's just up to, you know, the, the committee has 12 people, Greg. Six of them are from mid-major and low-major conferences. Six of them are from power conferences. Who's the alpha in the room? How does the discussion go? What do they value? What do they care about? I would give Charleston more of a chance than a 15-loss Oklahoma State in that scenario. Interesting. All right, so just because you see your team's name next to the graphic that has the word out in it, don't panic yet, Charleston. There's more basketball to be played. We don't know. Let's go to Andy next. Andy, who are your first four out? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of teams we've already discussed, so won't uh, belabor that too much. But Oklahoma State was the first team out for me. Uh, again, it's a little bit of the precedent of how far over 500 are they. They're 1-10 in 10 in high quad one games. Uh, and so the Big 12 affords you a lot of opportunities. They've taken advantage of a handful of those. Uh, the sweep of Iowa State is, is obviously huge uh, for them. But, uh, yeah, they've got, you know, we, win, beat Oklahoma. Then if you lose to Texas, you end up 18 and 15. Is that enough? I feel like it, it gets pretty dicey at that point. The resume metrics are, you know, average about 47.5. Quality metrics are a little bit better than that uh, for them. So we'll be interested to see what uh, what happens there. But 4 and 11 against the field, uh, as I have it. Uh, right now so that becomes uh, a little bit tough uh, Wisconsin you know, Rocco talked about them I don't know if I you know I've talked about this for weeks where it's like you feel like every time you do this you're going to have them out I don't know if I was just so disgusted that they needed to we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, you know eke one out at the end against uh against minnesota yeah, that i yeah. that i finally pulled the trigger i don't know i'd like to think i was more objective than that but i you know it could be wrong 
um, as we look at that. So they got Ohio State uh, and then Iowa if they if they win that game. Uh, they've got the Tyler Wall injury from earlier in the season to to take into account or or figure out how the committee will take into account only one loss outside of the top two quadrants that came to Wake uh, at home as part of the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. But you know, have beaten you know seven wins against the field, six quad one wins. Uh, if it if it and winning at Marquette at Iowa, and and that sweep of Penn State, and I think the the, the obvious comparison is between them and Penn State. Uh, Penn State's metrics are better on the resume side; they're better on the quality side. Uh, Wisconsin has beaten them twice, uh, so it's 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 fair to look at that part of it. Uh, but uh, Wisconsin just and I go back to a little bit of what you said, Greg, about Rutgers as somebody who watches a lot of Big Ten basketball. Which I mean, why we do that to ourselves is probably a separate <laughs> therapy session that we can have later. But um, but they're just not playing well. Um, and and I know we can talk about the eye test and things like that. But they're just they are a rough watch uh, more often than not. And uh, you know they've done enough to warrant a, a chance to get in. So I'm not saying that they're they're definitely out. And if somebody had them in, I, I really wouldn't uh, really wouldn't argue with it. There's certainly reasons to do that. Uh, so we'll see what they do. Charleston, I had them in the mix as well. You know, if they win, get to 29 and they'd end up 29 and four against D1 opponents if they win uh, over Towson and then lose in the final. It, it's hard to turn a blind eye to that team. The challenge becomes that nothing really stands out from a, a, a metric standpoint. Not conference The schedule isn't particularly good, even though I think they probably thought some of the games they got would be better than they turned out to be. Uh, a pair of quad three losses and 17 of their wins in quad four. Uh, but 12 and two road neutral at this point, beat Virginia Tech, beat a good Kent State team. Uh, we're close against Carolina uh, and, and you know, losing to Hofstra the other time is not a huge deal. They did lose at Drexel. That's kind of the, the worst loss that's uh, that's on their profile. So uh, there'll be an interesting one. I think it'll be a compelling case and, and one that will get talked about a lot as you look at a mid-major team who really thrived versus some of these other teams who got every opportunity in the world and made good on a third of them and do they deserve to get in over them? And then I got Arizona state after that. I think Rocco made some uh, compelling points about them for them. They get Oregon state in their first PAC 12 tournament game. And then they get USC again, if they win who they just lost to uh, over the weekend, but 10 and six in road neutral games, just those couple wins against the field uh, at Arizona and the Creighton game did win at Oregon beat Michigan, which helps for bubble purposes, beat a VCU team that's played really well of late. Uh, so there's some good things on their resume. The, the predictives uh, do not like them. They average out to 65, and even the resume metrics average out to be outside of the top 50. So an interesting team there. I think if you want to look at the good wins, and I never really know how the committee views things like the buzzer beater against Arizona. That's by far their best win. If you're going to put them in the field, that win matters a ton. Is it discounted in some way because it's a, a little bit of a fluky play? Probably shouldn't be. There's lots of fluky plays that happen all the time. And I think you get into that level of granularity. You probably uh, tie yourself in knots pretty quickly. But uh, something I've always wondered about how a win like that, as improbable as it was, and uh, something like that, is it looked at any differently as uh, that game was a toss up. They could have just as easily lost. And if they lost that game, we're not talking about them at all. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about how slim the margins between in and out are right now. Uh, and, you know, maybe if they do shrug that off with Arizona State of like, hey, they, they could have easily lost this. Let's discount it. I hope they do the same with wins because Michigan has about 14 losses this year that oh, they could have easily won. Let's just sneak them in the tournament. Who cares, guys? Who cares? 
Uh, let's see our consensus first four out now as a group. Obviously, you saw these these two's lists, and there was some dissension, particularly with Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin is the first team in our consensus first four out, followed by Arizona State, Oklahoma State, and then Charleston. Uh, good job, guys. I mean, you guys nailed uh, a lot of this. Very good job. I'm excited about this. I feel like I'm seeing the actual show. It's only six days away now, but I'm getting the jitters just thinking about it. Uh, and this is the best place to get all the information you need before Selection Sunday. So shout out to our listeners. Throw some questions in the chat. We're one segment away from answering your questions to end the show. First, we're going to do some quick hitters on a few particular teams, though. I want to start. Where do you think I want to start, boys? With the Michigan Wolverines. Horrible week. The no good, very bad week. With two overtime losses games that Michigan had leads Late in the second half, and both of those to put away uh, didn't happen. Are the Wolverines completely done, Andy? I, I don't think they're completely done. As we talked about earlier, I think if they can beat Rutgers uh, and then beat Purdue, makes their case far more compelling. Challenge right now, the quality metrics far outpace the resume metrics, uh, and and time has shown that the resume metrics are are more important for selection, as would kind of make sense. They're three and eleven in Q one games. Uh, they, you know, the, the Q4 loss to Central Michigan doesn't help five and 10 in road neutral games. Um, and so uh, they, they're seven and 10 against the field as I had it. Now that doesn't include, they split with Wisconsin, but they also lost to Carolina and Arizona state. So while head to head doesn't mean anything and uh, clearly not because I had Penn state in and Wisconsin out, um, it, it probably doesn't help to have a couple of the teams that you're right next to uh, on the outside of the field as teams that you lost to over the course of the, uh, of the season. Yeah. Especially if you look at the group of first four out and Michigan's lost to like all three of them, that's what it yeah. feels like. Yeah. They're one in out. one in three in their games against those, uh, some of those, I guess if you put, if, I guess Carolina's not in that mix quite yet, they're probably the next tier out, but yeah, that, that, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't help matters. I think that's why it becomes important that it's not just the Rutgers game for them. I think they need to win uh, at least a couple. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's move uh, to the SEC. Kentucky, the Wildcats. This team has just been steadily climbing over the last few weeks. It went from midseason on our After Dark show. We were questioning if Calipari deserved that job anymore to now, can Kentucky go to a Final Four? Who knows? From a, a bracket standpoint, how far can the Wildcats keep climbing up the seed list, Rocco? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think getting up to the five line is certainly possible. Um, you know, right now I'm, I have them very comfortably in the six line area, uh, which is where they were a week and a half ago when they had their biggest scent. Then they took the home Vanderbilt loss. And now, of course, they go out and win at Bud Walton Arena, a very difficult place to get a win, to add on top of their road Tennessee win. And, um, you know, a lot of good wins they've had in, in recent, you know, six to seven weeks. Um, so they could get up to a five, I think. I think some of those things are starting to really materialize. You know, some of the teams that they were looking at passing, like Iowa State and maybe Miami and um, and others, they they actually had pretty good wins over the weekend. So those teams can continue to win. Kentucky might be stuck on the six line, um, and to to say they're going to get all the way up to a four, knowing how the committee process works, that's a little too much to predict. So six for now, with the opportunity to get to a five. I think Kentucky fans would probably feel pretty good if they ended up on the five line. I don't like to put my uh, my head inside Kentucky fans' heads very often, but 
if I'm them after where they were a couple months ago, I'm okay with that. As long as you don't lose in the first round, I like that odd. Uh, all right, let's go to, to North Carolina next. I want to ask both you guys on the Tar Heels because we've spent so much time picking at this team all season long. I think kind of assuming they would just find a way to get in the dance. I don't know that I, I necessarily am speaking for everybody here. Maybe someone had them out at some point, but um, the last week didn't go how a lot of people thought it would for the Tar Heels. Do they have any hope at this point, Andy, to make the dance if they don't win the ACC tournament? It feels like a stretch uh, at this point. I mean, they, there just isn't very much when you look at what they've actually accomplished uh, that, that makes you feel like there's enough there. And, you know, for them, you look at where they sit right now. Resume metrics are 49. Quality metrics are better than that. They're 1-9 Q1. Uh, I've got them at 2-10 against the field. Now, that, if you want to include Charleston, who's in my first four out, and Michigan, who's uh, lurking just past that, that makes them 4-10. If you, if you want to make yourself feel better, I, you know, that, that becomes uh, a really tough one for me. And, and they really are at a point where... In, when one of the best things you have going for you is I don't have a Q3 or a Q4 loss, that's probably not probably not ideal because it suggests you just don't have uh, enough else there. Home wins over Virginia and NC State are their only two against tournament teams. Uh, best true road win is at Syracuse, even though they are seven and nine in, in road neutral games overall. Just doesn't feel like enough. So, and then you spin it forward to what can they really accomplish in the ACC tournament in their early games. They're going to play Boston College or Louisville. That doesn't move the needle at all in that game, in their first game. Then they would play Virginia, who that would give them another uh, Q1 win if they could win that one. So that becomes important. But just at that point, you've gone from two wins against the field to three. That, that just doesn't feel like enough. And then you're probably facing Clemson or NC State after that. NC State, they uh, you know were able to split with over the course of the season. Uh, but Clemson is one who's on the outside looking in as well. So the draw for them in terms of providing a ton of great opportunities to really prove themselves tournament worthy isn't quite there outside of that Virginia game. Um, they might be able to, you know, push Clemson further outside of the field or NC State, you know, further toward the bubble, but just not a, it wouldn't be a marquee win and your best chance to, you know, for them, it would have been being able to play Duke or Miami earlier and be able to get some of those wins. And it's just not how the, the draw shook out for them. So it definitely feels like it, it's win the ACC or that's it. Rocco, how far out is UNC for you right now on the seed list? I've got a pencil in at five, but honestly, there, you know, New Mexico down at seventh out for me, I could see the committee having more reasons to put them in than Carolina just because they have the win at San Diego State and at St. Mary's. Those are two tremendous road wins. Um, I'll, I'll say it a thousand times probably today, but the, the committee cares about where you won and how you did and who you played. And that equates to big time road wins. And New Mexico is the only team really in that outside group that's got them. Um, so even though, you know, they've got way worse losses than Carolina, um, I, I think Carolina is in a tough spot because uh, like Andy nailed it. Like the, the bracket they have, um, you know, the best team they can win against you know by the end of friday is virginia which is a nice win but they've already beat them and it's not i mean it's a neutral court win it's not a road win though and they're playing in their backyard in greensboro so you know i think for carolina they're in this weird spot just from a basketball standpoint where i could easily see them just getting knocked off by boston college and everybody agrees they're in the nit there's no more debate we're done and i could also see them just getting out of that boston college game if, they, if, that, if that's who they play and going on a run because they're in greensboro um so yeah, I mean, it, I feel like 
the chat the book's not shut because of that but if i think if they go on a run they might just win the whole thing yeah it's hard to shake that after what happened last year isn't it like i yeah you just can't I, count them out i keep telling myself they're their performance art right they're showmen caleb love rj davis they like the big moment they just want to make it even bleaker than it was last year before they turn it around the problem is they might have gone one step too far by losing against Duke in the final game of the regular season. Uh, yeah, you got to keep your eye on the Tar Heels until we finally get word from the committee that they're not in the field. Uh, and then maybe we can go back to debating whether or not last year's run was a fluke. We'll get there one step at a time. Let's bring Dagan in now. Dagan, do we got any questions from the chat? Yes, we do, Greg. We have we have a, a few here, so we'll try to run through them fairly quickly. Uh, here's a good one from Kevin. Uh, he wants to know, does the committee care or look at wins over automatic qualifiers? So obviously we talk about wins yeah. against the field. So how does that impact? Uh, if for they, instance here, Furman, isn't it? Is it more for Penn State? Yep, yeah, that, that, that is looked at. It is, it is uh, highlighted on their team sheet as soon as it becomes an automatic bid. So if Furman wins tonight, that would be highlighted by tomorrow. In their, they have a way fancier software than Andy or I have, uh, where stuff app updates in real time. But uh, – uh, yeah, they they know who they beat. I, I don't know how often it really comes up. I've talked to people about this over the years. Uh, Andy, you should chime in too. But, um, you know, it's just kind of like a footnote when you're presenting a team's overall story, right? You, you talk about the good, you talk about the bad. And, oh, by the way, you know, they had Oral Roberts, Furman, and Toledo. Um, so, you know, they beat three other teams that are going to be in this thing. It's not looked at and categorized the way that we talk about wins against the field in the same manner. Um, so the answer is yes, but it's also with an asterisk. Yeah, I, th I would agree with that. I think some of the ones against the the higher end mid majors. So Rocco just threw out a few of them, right? Like I think the Oral Roberts win means more this year than it did in in, uh, in most as a team that's been really good. One of the only teams with you know four losses in the country and have uh, been been there kind of start to finish. I think Furman probably falls in that category as well. Versus um, you know IU beating Kennesaw State earlier in the year doesn't make a huge amount of difference for them it, it you know you can look at it that way but it, it to me I think the ones that are in the 12 and 13 range might help you a little bit if um not, not really as a tiebreaker but but it at least shows some you know another good team that you played but odds are most of those wins came at home uh so it, it maybe means a little bit less although I think the Penn State win over Firmer was a neutral court win if I'm thinking of it yeah correctly. yeah Charleston Classic yeah All right. Uh, next one. Uh, your thoughts on Xavier versus UConn? Kind of how how that plays out um, between those two teams. I, I mean, I have UConn above them at this point. I had UConn actually as my last three seed, uh, maybe a little bit too high, uh, but to me, I think you got to start to look at Tennessee just a little bit differently uh, without Zakai Ziegler because. Again, another injury. He's not going to be back. I think there was things that you could nitpick about Tennessee even prior to that. Um, and so I, I had UConn just over them. They were one of the teams I mentioned where there was four teams that haven't lost uh, since the reveal. Now, they were a fifth because they were mentioned as what would have been a five seed. Uh, and, and while none of the wins, you know, they beat Providence at home. They won at Villanova. Haven't been, you know, huge. They've, it's really kind of allowed them to build a little momentum back to where they were at the beginning of the season. Um, their big East schedule was pretty front loaded. And so it took a little bit of the shine off of what they'd done in the non-conference by struggling a little bit uh, early in that. Um, so I have them over Xavier. I think, again, we want to talk injuries. You got the Zach Fremantle injury. Uh, and now the fact that he's done for the year for Xavier, where that wasn't 
wasn't the case there. And Xavier's four and one since the reveal as well, but very similarly, they haven't had uh, as many of their tough games. They won at Providence, they won at Seton Hall, so a couple nice road wins, lost at home to Villanova. Um, but I do think as you look at what they are and will be, they haven't been as impressive without Fremantle in there. Um, so I had I've had UConn above them for probably a, a little bit now, and and um, and had UConn on the three line today. Cool. Uh, can Duke how or how hard can Duke get if they win the ACC tournament? Yeah, I would say I would say five's a stretch. You know, they would need a lot of teams to fall. Uh, yeah, I think I think they're actually that that might not be necessarily the case. I think the committee could have them as a six right now. I have them as my highest seven. Um, they're right in there with like, but you know, I, I think Kentucky's road work is so much better than Duke's that. Um, I, I think Kentucky should clearly be above Duke, but Northwestern could be debated, I guess, just based on the fact that Northwestern's had mixed results. Uh, obviously, some great road wins, but uh, Duke's been really clean and perfect at home and all that good stuff, but they just haven't done a lot on the road. Um, and this this is, again, like Carolina, uh, a tournament in their backyard. They've got a nice nice draw early. I guess they'll play Pittsburgh maybe first, so um, a chance to get a couple good wins early and get, get maybe safely into the six, six zone. But to pass four more teams, at least from where I have them sitting, is probably too much to ask. They would need some of those other teams to not only lose, but lose to uh, a non-tournament team. Yeah, I, I had them in a similar spot. They were my top seven. It just feels like a lot for them to jump. I think they could very easily get onto the six line, but a five feels yeah unlikely to me just based on the, the quality of the wins. The pit win helps. Then they probably play Miami uh, at that point. So they at least have a draw that gives a little bit of opportunity for that, even though Pitt's kind of in that 10-ish seed range probably at this point. But I, I would agree, six feels like as high as I could get unless the committee really values what they've done more than than apparently we do. I was going to chime in quickly on uh, how impressive I think Duke has been lately, just given their their string of six straight wins, even going back, it's now nine of 11. But you start to dive into who those wins are against. They haven't beaten a team that is firmly in the field since the middle of January, guys. So it, right. I think you guys are accurate in where you're putting this in my head, just as a fan, without diving into that, it's like, oh, Duke's as hot as Kentucky is right now. Maybe still a ledge behind them, given who these games have come against. Let's do two more, Dagan. What else we got? Perfect. I, have, I had two more picked out. So this, this works out great. Uh, Tony wants to know, how do you guys deal with a recency bias? For instance, Iowa losing to Nebraska or Iowa State ending a skid when you guys are making your bracket. Yeah, I mean, the committee will tell you it's about the body of work. So a, a result on opening nights, the same as a result last night. Um, I, you know, I will, I will say this, there's a human element to, um, the entire committee, you know, structure, it's 12 human beings, um, you know, regardless of their title, most of them are athletic directors and, uh, they're getting in a room and, you know, it, it, the selection committee has been such an honor for anybody that gets, um, nominated and selected as a part of it. Um, they watch games uh, a lot. I mean, I've talked to a lot of the people that have served or are currently serving and, um, it, it, they take tremendous pride in it. They they're, they're they end up becoming junkies in at least January, February, March when they have to ramp up for these meetings. Maybe they don't watch all the holiday tournaments like we do, uh, but you know they get a good sense of what's going on. So I think just some of the human nature of that. You, you know, you watch Texas A&M the last two months. You're like, God damn, they're a good team. Like, how are we going to keep them a seven seed, for example? Um, you know, so and then you have some people like you know Andy Bombs is an IU guy. The chairman's an IU former player. Uh, a couple of the people in the room like him have basketball brains. So 
we've heard that in the past via decision, like who do we think is just better because we can't decide. So let's just go who we think would win on a neutral court. Um, so some of that stuff does matter because those conversations will be based on what just happened in the last couple of weeks or the last time you saw them or, you know, who's Tennessee without Ziegler or who, who's Rutgers without, uh, you know, Maywat Mag, right? So all of that has to kind of still stick in your brain if you're in a seat like Andy or eyes because we don't know exactly where the conversation is going to go. Um, but in terms of criteria, it is not criteria. Um, so I just want to make that perfectly clear. Uh, I just think, I just think there's some element where, uh, you know, whatever percent you want to put on it, it has some level of meaning. Yeah, it, it's, they used to, and I forget, it's been enough years now that it's, it's, it hasn't been there for a while, but they used to have a record in the last 10 or 12 games on the team sheets that they would look at. And so it obviously mattered then you're not putting stuff on there that you're not going to you know, give a little bit of weight to. And so they got away from that, uh, which uh, there, there's probably pros and cons to it. You know, for us, it becomes that exercise of you have to take the committee at, at their word and say that, you know, game one and game 30 mean the same thing. You're looking at the whole body of work. But I do think that's one of the harder parts of doing this, because if you're watching the games and not just looking at the numbers and you got to do a combination of both those things, it's hard not to get caught up in that. I mean, what Greg said about Duke is a, is a great example of that, right? You, you look at how they're playing lately. They're probably playing above what a seven seed would would be. But you look back and based on some missed opportunities earlier in the year and the fact that the ACC isn't as strong as it is, it has been previously it's just hard to justify uh looking at some of that and so that's where some of the metrics who look that look at things over the course of the year whether they be predictive or resume bakes can be informative in there because those things are not giving weight to one game over another and trying to look at it that way but it's definitely a difficult part of it and there's certainly things we, we talked about this when the committee did the reveal but it sure felt like there was some recency bias in some of those selections now you don't know that you're just trying to connect the dots and so um, probably some things that you may see on Selection Sunday that may suggest there's more recency bias even in the NTA process than what they would say that there is. All right, final one. This one may, is going to require a little bit of thinking maybe. Which conference tournament is going to – or has the biggest implications for Bracketology this week? Conference USA, for sure, uh, because it's, uh, it's a league where Florida Atlantic is pretty much a lock at this point. Um, you know, if they would have lost their last game at Law Tech and then lost to the winner of Western Kentucky or UTEP, um, they would have maybe slipped far enough with those two bad losses to be back in this bubble mix. But now the Owls, I mean, come on, 25 and three, awesome team. Um, you know, they lost a couple games on the road in league play, perfect at home, didn't have the strongest schedule, uh, but they've done enough. I think we'd all agree they're in. And uh, that leaves 10 other teams in that bracket. If any of them win, uh, that's a second bid that we're not accounting for. So that's the easiest answer possible. Um, some other ones to pay attention to would be the American Conference, where right now Houston and Memphis are the only teams in. That means if any of the other teams in that bracket win it somehow, obviously Houston and Memphis are beasts. Um, yeah, that's another big gone. Um, you've got to look at a league maybe like the Pac-12, where Oregon has a bye all the way to the – uh, same round as UCLA and Arizona. So if the Ducks get hot, they could steal a bid. Even Washington State, who plays Cal before they would play Oregon, you would imagine they could blow Cal out and save their energy. Um, and, and Washington State's a team that comes in with six straight wins into the Pac-12 tournament. Um, you know, that's, that's another league to pay attention to. Um, I think the ACC itself, 
Clemson's in the same exact situation as Oregon. Um, like I, I'm not as high at, as like a Joe Lenardi on Clemson, but uh, they've done a lot this year and they're capable of winning three games in a row. Uh, they're the three seed in the tournament. They could do it right now. We agree. North Carolina's not in, they could do it. So that's a tournament to pay attention to. Um, I think those are the top four that come to my mind. I don't know if Andy wants to add more. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at um, Rocco into that very well from a bid thief perspective, which is going to be of supreme importance to a lot of the bubble teams this week. If you just look at sheer volume of bubble teams, you probably look in the Big Ten. I mean, we talked about uh, a lot of Big Ten teams. I think four of them over the course of the show in Michigan, Rutgers, Wisconsin, and Penn State, all of whom uh, have key games and, and key opportunities once you get past their uh, you know, the, the initial Wisconsin-Ohio State game, you know, everybody has a chance to to earn a win that might put them in and might flip somebody out. Um, you know, we had three teams within our, you know, last, you know, consensus, last four in, first four out. So three of the eight are Big Ten teams, and Michigan was just outside of the, the first four out. So I think that one from a bubble perspective has the most implications because there's the most uncertainty uh, around that. And I think the, the ACC a little bit in that mix when you got NC State and uh, North Carolina in there as well. But I think the Big Ten really, from a bubble perspective, is going to have a lot to say about the last few teams that are in the field. Yeah, that's my answer, by the way, is this one. There's a lot of teams that could be in or out in that conference. Uh, Dagan, thank you for the questions. Chat Mob, thank you for the questions. We appreciate you rocking with us and watching the show. Again, we're doing this three times this week, so you'll have more opportunities to ask these guys questions. Just show Actually, up actually Greg. We're doing it four times this week. We're doing it oh, four times counting the Selection Sunday show. We're doing it You're four right, times Jake. this week. You're absolutely right. So you have more opportunities, Chat Mob, to come back in and ask these handsome gentlemen what they think of your team. Let's do a couple games to watch. Like I said, we've got more shows than usual, so our, uh, our pool of games to watch will be a little smaller given that we're not going to get into Thursday's games because we will have another show by then. So give us your games to watch up until Thursday. Andy, we'll start with you. Uh, well, we talked about Charleston. They play Towson tonight, would play in the CAA final on Tuesday, uh, a big, you know, big couple days for them. Then in the Summit League, you've got Oral Roberts playing. Uh, they're not in the final yet, but, um, you know, if they get there and lose, that becomes another team that gets thrown into the at-large mix that would be interesting. And, uh, you know, other Big 12 on Wednesday, you got West Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma I think West Virginia has uh, rocketed all the way up to a, a single-digit seed for me, so I think they're safe even with the loss. But uh, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, we talked about a couple times during the show. So those are kind of one one thing from each day that stood out to me. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just throw a few from you know I'm going straight to Wednesday just because I think a lot of the bubble is going to take the court the next time uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so starting with Wisconsin, you know I might have had them. Uh, apparently well inside. I tried to make it very clear that there's six spots that are completely open. Um, Wisconsin hold one of those. Uh, they're a team that when you remove the quad four, 12 and 13, thanks to that Minnesota win, uh, they'll play Ohio State. I, th I think if they lose that Ohio State game, it'll be a lot easier to take them out of the field entirely. Uh, so they got to at least win that game to stay in their current position. Uh, if from my perspective, um, I would also say Arizona State, who... I think they're my last team out and Andy's first team 
sorry, they're my last team in and Andy's first team out. Um, they, they open up with the Beavers of Oregon State, who I think the entire country will overlook. And that means the Arizona State Sun Devils themselves need to not overlook them and listen to everybody else uh, because Oregon State's gotten a little bit better. They're not as bad as last year. Jordan Pope's been an amazing freshman point guard coming on strong in, in the month of February. Uh, they knocked off USC, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago. So I don't think you can overlook the Beavers here in Vegas, uh, where I'm currently at uh, on Wednesday. So because um, Arizona State's draw, they play USC next. And I think that's just human nature to really try to correct what you got wrong against USC just last Saturday. Try to, you know, try to look ahead a little bit. Um, the Beavers will give them a fight, I think. And then I think lastly, um, you've got to look at NC State. You know, um, there's a good chance they'll play Virginia Tech. And, you know, no matter who they play, they'll play the winner of Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. So that brings up two different challenges. Virginia Tech's a team that gave them trouble earlier in the year. Um, they have nothing to lose. They won the tournament last year. Obviously a different team now, but they they play that five-out Mike Young style, three, three ball. It's a good system to win a, a tournament, as they proved last year. They have nothing to lose. NC State's going to have a lot of pressure on them, I believe. Um, what happens there, we'll see. If Virginia Tech gets upset by Notre Dame, we all know what that storyline's going to be. It's going to be like, oh, Mike Bray's not done yet. Let's keep keep the party going. Jameson shots after every win. Um, <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a tough spot for NC State, too, if, if it's Notre Dame. So, um, again, that's, that's going to be something to watch on Wednesday. There is a lot to keep an eye on, gentlemen. And for uh, true basketball fans out there, people that love this sport as much as we do, this week feels like heaven. Even with the stress of in and out, I mean, you got to just step back and enjoy how much chaos is going to ensue later this week during the conference tournaments. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. I always learn so much on this show. I can't say I feel any better about my team's spot. Maybe that'll shift by the next time we talk, but I appreciate all the work you both put into this. We appreciate everybody who watches. Uh, join us again Thursday on the next episode of Fielding the 68. For Rocco Miller, for Andy Bottoms, for producer Dagan Hughes, my name is Greg Waddell.